the explosive new film, Flynn, Deliver the Truth, Whatever the Cost, exposes secrets behind the government's takedown of General Michael Flynn. Flynn knew what the intel world had been up to. He ordered the first audit of the use of contractors. This set off alarm bells. He told the truth. He was the most dangerous person for Donald Trump to hire. They had to get rid of Flynn. Flynn, Deliver the Truth, Whatever the Cost. Available now. Watch it today. Go to SalemNow.com. SalemNow.com. Uh, and so today we have the privilege of hearing from Pastor Daniel Bay, a.k.a. Pastor Danny. He joins us from Pillar Baptist Church in Fremont. He's been a pastor there since 2011, and they have a, a great ministry going on over there. Uh, their service starts at 1.30, so after this service, feel free to head on over there down in Fremont. Um, and God has continued to bless their church in just so many different ways. He told me that they have anywhere from a range of 240 to 280 people there. Uh, just even reading from their website and getting to know them a little bit. They love the Lord. They love preaching God's word. And you know that Pastor Roger and myself would not allow anybody else to come up here unless he re- they really love God's word, but also would do a good job doing it. Uh, Pastor Bay is married to his wife, Deborah. She's an occupational therapist over in Fremont. They have two beautiful daughters. And I, knew, I do know that Pastor Bay also enjoys uh, going around to different biblical sites and visiting them and just trying to get a better understanding uh, of what I'm sure is to so many different aspects of the Bible. It makes it really real. So please uh, put your hands together and join me in welcoming Dr., uh, Pastor Danny. Well, good morning, church. It is a joy to be worshiping with you this morning. I'm usually used to a 1.30 service, and so this is great. I have energy in the morning, and I hail from the East Bay area. It's, uh, I consider it no man's land, and uh, driving over here, I could tell the weather just got a lot better as I drove on the bridge, so I opened my windows and let the breeze hit my face because it's very hot and dry in the East Bay area. You are blessed. The Lord has brought you into Goshen here in the Bay Area. Well, turn in your Bibles with me to the book of Daniel, and that to Daniel chapter 1. Daniel chapter 1, and we'll be looking at the first eight verses here. And after I read God's word, we'll pray ask for the Spirit's help. This is God's holy and infallible word. In the third year of the reign of Jehoiakim, king of Judah, Nebuchadnezzar, king of Babylon, came to Jerusalem and besieged it. And the Lord gave Jehoiakim, king of Judah, into his hand with some of the vessels of the house of God. And he brought them to the land of Shinar, to the house of his God, and placed the vessels in the treasury of his God. Then the king commanded Ashpenaz, his chief eunuch, to bring some of the people of Israel, both of the royal family and of the nobility, youths without blemish, of good appearance, and skillful in all wisdom, endowed with knowledge, understanding, learning, and competent to stand in the king's palace, and to teach them the literature and the language of the Chaldeans. The king assigned them a daily portion of the food that the king ate and of the wine that he drank. They were to be educated for three years, and at the end of that time, they were to stand before the king. 
Among these were Daniel, Hananiah, Mishael, and Azariah of the tribe of Judah. And the chief of the eunuchs gave them names. Daniel he called Belshazzar. Hananiah he called Shadrach. Mishael he called Meshach. And Azariah he called Abednego. But Daniel resolved that he would not defile himself with the king's food or with the wine that he drank. Let's pray together. Father in heaven, as we come now to worship you in the exposition of your holy word, we ask that by your spirit you would do in us what we cannot do for ourselves. We ask that you would give us eyes to see and ears to hear. And Lord, we pray that you would show us, even in this Old Testament text, that you would, Lord, show us Christ. Show us Christ, our Savior. We ask these things in your Son's name. Amen. Well, what we have before us in the book of Daniel is the spiritual testimony of a man spanning over 70 years of his life, from his time as a youth all the way to his old age. And it covers a period in which the people of God experienced great difficulty as they lived in the days of the Babylonian exile. It was 605 B.C. to be exact, six centuries before the Christ that the deportation of the Israelites into Babylon had begun. People were ripped away from their homes and from their cities, from their country, and they were taken into captivity into a very strange land where everything around them was foreign, where their surrounding was filled with godlessness, where they now had to live in a society that was absolutely and totally pagan. But what devastated the people of God the most was the fact that they no longer had access to the temple, the place of worship, where the presence of their God dwelled in Shekinah glory. And so what were they going to do without the ability to offer that worship and to offer sacrifices to their God? Psalm chapter 137, and you don't have to turn there, gives us another perspective of what it was like in exile. Listen to the psalmist. He says this, By the rivers of Babylon, we sat and wept when we remembered Zion. There on the poplars, we hung our harps. For there our captors asked us for songs. Our tormentors demanded songs of joy. They said, sing us one of the songs of Zion. And here's what the psalmist says. How can we sing the Lord's song while in a foreign land? You see, this question is the very crux of the entire book of Daniel. How can I be faithful while living in this dark and godless place? And church, even though the book of Daniel is over two and a half thousand years removed from us, it speaks to our very context. We too live in a foreign land filled with all kinds of unrighteousness where what is moral is considered immoral and what is immoral is considered moral. Where justice is no longer justice but flipped upside down. Where holiness And the worship of God is the rare exception. We also find ourselves in difficult situations and challenging circumstances where we ask ourselves, well, how how can I be faithful in this position? It seems like it's almost impossible to respond rightly in the trial. How, How can I do it? 
Well, here's what the book of Daniel teaches us at its very outset here. That there is no situation that renders it impossible to be totally faithful to Jesus Christ. And we learn that lesson from the life of Daniel and his friends. How can I sing the Lord's song in my trying circumstance? Daniel wants to tell us, I can sing. I can worship Him. I can remain faithful because God will not let me be tempted more than I can bear, 1 Corinthians 10, 13. It's possible. Not only is it possible, but God demands that I be faithful. And so, how was Daniel faithful? And what can we learn from this brother? I think three things here from the story that we just read here in verses 1 through 8. And just to let you know, I'm reading from the ESV. Three things here. Number one, he recognized the sovereignty of God. Daniel recognized the the sovereign purposes of God as he was in exile. That's number one. Number two, he realized what was spiritually taking place there in the king's court. In other words, Daniel was, he was aware and he wasn't, he wasn't naive. And number three, he was resolved to take a stand. We see it in verse eight. It says, but Daniel resolved that he would not defile himself with the king's food. And so that's our outline for this morning. Three things that we can learn from the story here. And we begin with his recognition of God's sovereignty in verse one. Look with me in verse one. It says, In the third year of the reign of Jehoiakim, king of Judah, Nebuchadnezzar, king of Babylon, came to Jerusalem and besieged it. Now, the author of the book is Daniel. We know that. And he begins his memoirs by giving us an account as to why the people of God were in the place that they were in. And he gives us the plain facts. The information he gives us comes from a very human point of view. He answers the who, the the what, the when questions. He answers the who, Nebuchadnezzar, king of Babylon. He answers the what. He came to Jerusalem and besieged it. And he answers the when, in the third year of the reign of Jehoiakim. But I want you to notice that Daniel here in in verse 2, he gives us the same event here, but through a different pair of lenses. Look at verse 2. And the Lord gave Jehoiakim, king of Judah, into his hand, with some of the vessels of the house of God. Same event, but there's a difference. The viewpoint or the subject has changed. It's not a man. It's not King Nebuchadnezzar, but it's God. That the reason as to why King Nebuchadnezzar came and besieged Jerusalem is because the Lord gave Jehoiakim, king of Judah, into his hand. You see, there are two perspectives here. One from a human point of view and another from God's point of view. One details the event like normal history, but the other with biblical theology. And Daniel recognized, you see, that God was behind this. And you see, how many of the Israelites in this siege of Jerusalem were crying out to to the Lord, where's God? Where are you? He's nowhere. He's gone missing. He's abandoned us. Yet Daniel understood that God was right in the middle of that exile. He recognized that in this great tragedy, that in this great difficulty, God was at work. And that he couldn't view this enormous trial simply in terms of events, but rather in terms of the sovereign purposes of God. 
You see, Daniel, he went beyond the who, beyond the what and the when questions, and he asked the why. Why is this happening? Why is this taking place? And I believe Daniel came to two conclusions about God's sovereignty. One was that in exile, he had encountered a faithful sovereignty. You see, Daniel, he knew his Bible and he was intimately familiar with God's word from Deuteronomy 28. Blessings for obedience and cursings for disobedience. And that if Israel went astray, that God would send the nation into exile. Or Isaiah 39, when the prophet told Hezekiah, Behold, the days are coming when all that is in your house shall be carried away to Babylon and nothing will be left, says the Lord. And so Daniel, he he saw that that God was being faithful to his word. And you see, for us, we tend to think of God's faithfulness in a positive way. Yet we forget that his faithfulness can also be negative and that it's severe. We need to remember that the Lord's threats of judgment are not empty threats and that the warnings of the Bible are, are very real. But here's the thing. God is just as diligent in being faithful over his promises of grace, even if it means his reputation. And this is the next thing that Daniel recognized about his Lord's sovereignty, that it was a humble sovereignty. Look down in verse 2 in your Bibles. Daniel tells us that as the Lord gave Jehoiakim into his hand, the Lord also gave some of the vessels of the house of God and He, Nebuchadnezzar, brought them into the land of Shinar, to the house of his God, and placed the vessels in the treasury of his God. Well, how would the people in Israel and in Babylon and all over the ancient Near East, how would they have viewed this as an utter defeat for God? All that was in the Lord's temple was now in the temple of the Babylonian God. And God knew how that would look. He knew how it would look when he gave those holy items that belonged in his sanctuary to the treasury of an idol made with hands. Where pagans lifted up their voices and they sang just like we sang, Marduk from all blessings flow. What can we then conclude? That God who is sovereign was willing to suffer shame and to give up for the time being the reputation of his name. Why? What was it all for? To awaken his people and to save them. That God was willing in a way to be humiliated and scorned if by so doing he would purge his people. And beloved, isn't this what we see when we look into the person of Jesus Christ. That though he was in the form of God, did not count equality with God a thing to be grasped, but made himself nothing, taking the form of a servant, being born in the likeness of men, and being found in human form, he humbled himself by becoming obedient to the point of death, even death on a cross. Listen, if there are any of you here, and I never assume, and if you're here and you're not a Christian, The holy and sovereign God is faithful. Faithful to his word. And he tells us that the wages of sin is death. That the soul who sins shall die. And that is not an empty threat. 
And the great tragedy of the human race is that we are all fallen. We are fallen sinners deserving of our due wages. But the gospel is this, that God was willing to suffer humility and shame in the person of Jesus Christ. And to die as a pariah on that cross in the place of sinners. You see, God was faithful. He didn't break any promises. But he came through on his promise to punish sin. And hear this, he came through on his promise to save sinners like you and like me. And he gives to us the promise, yes, the wages of sin is death, but the free gift of God is eternal life in Christ Jesus our Lord. God was and is faithful to his word and on the cross, severe to his son, but life, life for you. This free gift is given to those who come and trust in Christ. You see, for Daniel, in the midst of this personal and national catastrophe, recognized that God was sovereignly faithful, that his purposes were being fulfilled. And what caused Daniel to live for God, even though he was pressed into such a painful experience, was because he recognized that God himself was in it. And if God was in it, God was able to protect him in it and direct him in it, and use him in it for his good purpose. Daniel was able to grasp that simple yet all too important principle of the sovereignty of God in his life. And you see, Christian, it will be very, very difficult to be faithful in our own pressing circumstances if we fail to recognize that God is sovereign and in control. That whatever evil we may experience, we can know that it's meant for our good. Without that recognition, we will only be able to interpret the events of our lives through a human perspective. But as the children of God our Lord, He he wants us to see it through the perspective of our Father. Whether you lost a loved one, or whether in the womb, or an elderly age, Beloved, what trials today, this morning, what trials are you viewing with the, wrong, with the wrong set of lenses? Be like Daniel and recognize that sovereignty, that sovereignty that is orchestrating all things, for there's nothing that is incidental nor accidental, but all serve his purpose. Church, do you believe that? You know, you might be saying, Pastor Danny, I, I know it, I know it. But it's hard to believe it. Well, then ask the Father. I believe, but help my my unbelief. How was Daniel to remain faithful? Firstly, he recognized the sovereignty of God. Secondly, he realized what was spiritually taking place in the halls of that palace. Daniel was, he was keenly aware and he had the wisdom to know what the king of Babylon was attempting to do to him and to his friends. You see, on the surface, it could have looked like that the pagan king was simply taking the best of Israel and employing them for his service. But there was something deeper going on here. There was a spiritual war taking place. Well, what evidence do we have that shows us that Daniel had a deeper understanding of what was taking place? I want you to notice that when he tells us as to where the vessels of the house of God were taken, he says that the king of Babylon brought them into the land of Shinar. Where is Shinar? 
Shinar is the name for Babylon. And so if you have an NIV translation, does anyone here use an NIV translation? Oh, bless you, brother. (laughs) It'll say Babylon instead of Shinar. Well, so why didn't Daniel just say that the things of God were taken into Babylon? He used the land of Shinar on purpose. What was Daniel trying to communicate by using the land of Shinar instead of Babylon? He wanted to point us back to a time before Babylon was called Babylon, but Shinar. You see, that name Shinar was used in Genesis chapter 11 in the story of the Tower of Babel, where it says there that the whole earth had one language and the same words, and as people migrated from the east, they found a plain in the land of Shinar, And it's there in Shinar that the people built a city. But it wasn't just a city, but a city in opposition to God. Daniel has the spiritual insight to know that this is a battle between the city of God and the city of men. That what was happening here in the book of Daniel is an an age-old war of the people of God and the spiritual forces of darkness. That Babylon and Jerusalem aren't just cities but represent the only two cities in which all men and women belong. They symbolize two loyalties, two masters, two allegiances. And the two are in opposition to one another. Jesus said it this way, no one can serve two masters. For either he will hate the one and love the other, or he will be devoted to the one and despise the other. And there he said, you cannot serve both God and money. Well, Daniel sees that very principle playing out here. These are not just events that are taking place, but a spiritual battle that is contending for his allegiance. He was aware of what was taking place. And you see, Christian, we must be the same. Every day, there are Babylonian temptations seeking to take you away from the city of God and to possess your allegiance. There is a reason why God says to us in His Word, put on the whole armor of God. These are not just pithy Christian sayings. Put on the whole armor of God that you may be able to stand against the schemes of the devil. Well, What was the plan or the strategy from the opposition here? I want you to notice that when King Nebuchadnezzar overtook the people of God, it it wasn't by sheer military might or by brute force. The fall of Jerusalem here, it took 20 years. It took 20 years. And it happened in stages. And in Nebuchadnezzar's first assault, he, he didn't come and wipe out all the people. But he came after a certain group of people. Look at verse 3. Then the king commanded Ashpenaz, his chief eunuch, to bring some of the people of Israel, both of the royal family and of the nobility, youths without blemish, of good appearance and skillful in all wisdom, endowed with knowledge, understanding, learning, and competent to stand in the king's palace. He had a plan. And it wasn't to capture all the rulers. But notice the young teenagers. You see that? Not the leaders. Not the commanders, not the priests, not the pastors, but the youth. Well, why? It's because if the Babylonian king were to destroy all the rulers and the leaders and the commanders and the older citizens of Jerusalem, 
there was still a generation of Jews to replace them. But if he were to take hold of the youth, all of Jerusalem would fall. And you see, this is more than just a history lesson about Israel, but a warning for the church. That the way to destroy the church of God is to give our youth and to give our young people to the world. If we let Babylon come and take them away. And we look at the contemporary church today and it feels like, it feels like that we're losing. Church, we cannot let the city of God turn into the palace of Babylon. The church is in need of Young people who are like Daniel and Hananiah and Mishael and Azariah who refuse to bend and bow to the world. Who are willing to walk into the fiery furnace if it means maintaining their witness. If it means holding on to their allegiance of Christ. Well, notice what did Nebuchadnezzar do with the young people? Notice that he first isolated them. He isolated the young men from their families. But the real blow was to take them away from Jerusalem. And by so doing, he took them away from the worship of God and from the fellowship of God's people. This was their lifeblood. This was their oxygen. And now it was no more. Well, what was the king doing? He was choking out all the influences that had shaped and molded their lives in the worship of God. And once they were isolated from the means of grace and of the things of God, maybe they would now be open to new influences. You see, for us, church, one of the quick and easy ways to think differently about God is to isolate yourself from the worship and from the people of God. Which is why the gathering that is happening right now and right here is absolutely critical for your life. The first and the worst thing we could do to set our lives on the path of making shipwreck of our lives is to forsake the worship of God and to forsake the gathering of his people. But there was a reason why Nebuchadnezzar did what he did. It's because isolation then opened the door to indoctrination. So notice he then indoctrinates them. Look in the middle of verse 4. And competent to stand in the king's palace and to teach them the literature and the language of the Chaldeans. Now, that might seem very harmless. All they were doing was taking some courses in Babylonian studies. All they were doing was learning the Babylonian language. There's no harm in that, right? But Daniel knew what was spiritually taking place as the books were opened before him. It was an attempt to get their minds reprogrammed and re-educated. You see, Daniel and his friends, they had grown up under the teaching of God's Word. It is the Bible that had shaped them and molded them and them, given them a biblical worldview. Well, what was the goal of the king? To exchange that biblical worldview to one that was Babylonian. To replace their knowledge and understanding of the Bible with the myths and the legends of Shinar as their new source of wisdom. You see, the aim of the king was to indoctrinate them and into the world's way of thinking, into the worldview of the Babylonians. And you see, one of the greatest dangers a Christian can place him or herself in is to be unaware 
or to be unconcerned of this particular assault from the world. And it seems like the indoctrination that is taking place in our current context is becoming more and more aggressive. And it's not like it's not been happening. It's always been happening. And the primary way and the most effective way to indoctrinating people is through subtlety. It's through subtlety. By teaching people without them knowing that they're learning. And you see, Christian, every day we are learning. And that in the most subtle ways. Daniel was aware of what was taking place in that royal court. And so the king's approach was to isolate them and then indoctrinate them. But notice next, it was to cause them to compromise. Look at verse 5. The king assigned them a daily portion of the food that the king ate and of the wine that he drank. They were to be educated for three years and at the end of that time, they were to stand before the king. Nebuchadnezzar, he doesn't take the young men and he doesn't cuff them in chains and throw them into a prison cell. He knows the human heart. He knows that every man has a price and so he feeds them. Any of you like food? I love food. It's one of the idols of my heart that I must repent of. Notice he offers the young teenagers the finest food with the king's food and drink. Daniel and his friends are are offered all the privileges of being a part of the king's court, giving them high living, comfort, status, reputation, importance. Why? All to wean their desires from their God and that to the desires of Babylon to get them to compromise. And you see, compromise doesn't come in leaps and bounds, but you know this, compromise comes little by little by little. That's how it works. By starting with the harmless things, the inconsequential things, and slowly making its way to the important things. Which is why Jesus said, he who is faithful in very little is also faithful in much. Notice lastly here, along with that, with the temptation to compromise the king, he attempts to confuse them. Look at verse 6. Among these were Daniel, Hananiah, Mishael, and Azariah of the tribe of Judah. And the chief of the eunuchs gave them names. Daniel he called Belteshazzar. Hananiah he called Shadrach. Mishael he called Meshach. And Azariah he called Abednego. Names matter. And in this instance, it matters as to who gives that name. You know, my name is Daniel, and uh, my name was given by a Roman Catholic priest, because my parents were Roman Catholic. And that Roman Catholic priest, he ended up getting trouble for doing some bad things, and when I found out about all those things, my parents are Christian believers now, I was very terrified that my name was given by a Roman Catholic priest. Well, I hope he knows that I'm a pastor now, you know. But it matters who gives that name. And the young men, they're here, they're, they're given new names. And again, we might think, what's the harm? Maybe it was hard for the Babylonians to pronounce their names. So they were given new names. Well, that's not what's taking place here. These young men, they had names that mattered. It, it testified as to their identity and to their God. Listen to what their names meant. Daniel, Dan, I, my judge, El, short for Elohim, God. God is my judge. Hananiah, Yahweh the Lord is gracious. Mishael, 
who is like God. Azariah, the Lord is a helper. And notice what they were now being called. Belteshazzar, Mabel, the Babylonian God protects you. Shadrach, live at the command of Aku, another name of one of the pagan gods. Meshach, who is like Aku. Abednego, servant of Nebo, another Babylonian god. What was this doing to them? You see, day after day, Daniel and his three friends were being, were being called by their Babylonian names with the hope that slowly they would lose their identity and forget who they were. And over and over and over again, as they heard their Babylonian names, their Babylonian masters say to them through their newly given names, the constant message was, you belong to Babylon. You belong to Babylon. You belong to this pagan world. And the great crisis, the great crossroad that Daniel and his friends came to was, who, who am I going to be and who am I going to serve? Do I belong to this world or do I belong to God? And they asked that question as they lived, not in Jerusalem, but in the courts of Babylon. And you see, for Daniel and his friends, their situation, it didn't define them. Their circumstance didn't dictate who they would be. They did not let their environment decide for them whose they were. And the pressure to conform, no doubt, was great. And they were given and they were offered all the privileges of living in Babylon. But Daniel had to answer the most important question in his young teenage life. Am I the Lord's or do I belong to another? Men and women, and especially young people, and even more so, youth. Who are you going to choose? Whose God will you serve? The God of this world or the living God of heaven? You see, we find ourselves, we find ourselves as we live here in the Bay Area. And I love that your church name is Grace Church of the Bay Area. We find ourselves in the very same predicament as Daniel, don't we? The world is doing everything it can to lure us into thinking with another worldview. And that by subtle persuasion. It happens to us at work. It happens to us when we go outside. It happens to us when we watch something on our iPads or computers or TVs or whatever it might be. You see, the devil wants us to change masters. And he can't do it by force. And so he tries to deceive us. To get us to think that we need Babylon. To instill in us a, a dependence upon Babylon. So that we would feel like we can't live without it. So that we would walk away from the one true master and willfully walk into the arms of another. Now notice something about Daniel here. There were some things that he couldn't change. There's some things for us that we can't change. He couldn't change the fact that he now lived in Babylon. We can't change the fact that we live here in the Bay Area. While other people in other parts of the country say, will say, yes, you can. Sell your house. You can buy five houses where we live, right? <laughs> he couldn't change the fact that they were calling him with a Babylonian name. 
And so he had the wisdom to see what he couldn't change. But he also had the wisdom to see what he had to refuse. And this is how Daniel remained faithful. How was he going to sing the Lord's song in a foreign land? How was he going to be totally faithful to the Lord his God? Look at chapter 1, verse 8. But Daniel resolved that he would not defile himself with the king's food or with the wine that he drank. He was resolved. Which is to say that he made the decision in his heart before God. He made up his mind that he would not be contaminated by the courts of Babylon. He made it his resolution to live exclusively for the Lord in this pagan land. He was resolved to take a stand. The Babylonians were able to change his name. But he didn't allow them to change his heart. And that's where we're at, Christian. We must not allow the world to change our hearts. Church, can I ask you, what's your resolve? What have you resolved in your heart, no matter what situation, no matter what circumstance or trial or or difficulty that you're going through? What have you resolved as you live in the proverbial courts of Babylon? We live in a very different place, don't we? We get a lot of pressure from work. We get a lot of pressure from our culture, maybe our family and friends. Well, how did Daniel remain faithful? It's because he sang, he sang this song in that foreign land. And I want to close with this. And you might know this song. You probably do because you sing hymns here at this church. Praise God. This is my father's world. Oh, let me never forget that though the wrong seems oft so strong, But God is the ruler yet. Amen. Let's pray together. Father in heaven, we thank you for your word and for reminding us whose we are, that we belong to you, that we are in Christ, that we have been saved with the precious price, the blood of Christ, that the old is gone and the new has come. That you have made us into new beings, new creatures, and that to serve you and to worship you, to love you with all our heart, mind, soul, and strength. Oh Lord, help us by your Spirit to live faithfully in this place. We believe, but help our unbelief. Lord, we pray that you would sustain us and you would preserve us. Lord, I pray for Grace Church of the Bay Area. The Lord, you would, Lord, instill in the people here a greater resolve to be faithful. And Lord, we thank you for their faithfulness here in the area of San Mateo. And we pray that, Lord, their light would shine ever so brightly in their workplaces, in their homes, wherever they may be, that, Lord, your, your name might be honored and glorified, that they would honor and live for you. We pray all these things in Christ's name. Amen. 
three-star general, Michael J. Flynn, head of the Pentagon Intelligence Agency, knew all the government's dirty secrets. He was one of the most respected generals in the military. Flynn knew what the intel world had been up to. He understood its funding. He ordered the first audit of the use of contractors. This set off alarm bells. The explosive new documentary, Flynn, deliver the truth, whatever the cost, and covers the facts behind this scandal. Flynn told the truth. He was the most dangerous person for Donald Trump to hire. I find out the worst enemy that I'm going to face in my life is right here in America. They took my assessment and they wanted me to change it. I was like, I'm not changing it. They had to get rid of Flynn. With in-depth interviews, archival footage, and never-before-seen personal record to the man behind the headlines. I just felt like I was drowning. Flynn. Deliver the truth, whatever the cost. Available now. Watch it today. Go to salemnow.com. salemnow.com.